All right. Good morning. Oh, that was all right. Good morning, everyone. Oh, yeah, that's more like it. Do we need a third time? No, do we? No, we don't. Good morning. All right. Uh, if you're new and you're visiting, my name's Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. Um, we're going to get right into it. Um, as of, what, two weeks ago, we started a series um, in the book of um, Jonah, and it's we've been having a well of a time. <laughs> Cheesy, I know. All right, turn to Jonah. Turn to Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. This week, we are at the... Um, at one of the most famous, well-known parts of Jonah. Um, we are going to be looking at the last verse of chapter 1 um, through chapter 2. Um, and so that is where we are. And so chapter 2, but you know, before we read chapter 2, we're going to read verse 17 of chapter 1. Um, as always, as a church, we believe in the authority of God's word, and we believe scripture is sufficient. And one of the ways we try to honor that um, is to stand for the reading of God's word. And so if you could stand, that would be lovely. Thank you. Jonah, chapter 2, starting from verse 17 of chapter 1, reads, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake your, their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and I ask that you would help us hear, understand, and be inspired to live out all that we'll learn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Last week, um, from the story of Jonah, um, what we saw was how God used um, the dis disobedience of Jonah, who's a Jewish prophet, um, to accomplish his good and great purposes. 
Jonah, he faced the consequences of a storm for refusing to do what God had told him to do. And so when the sailors, let's remember he had hired some sailors um, to help him basically disobey God and sail in the opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. Um, and so when the sailors he had hired um, found out that his disobedience was what caused the storm, they asked him what they need to do in order to calm the storm. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. It says, And then Jonah said to them, This is what you need to do in order to calm the storm. Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so the sailors hear that, and they're like, wow, this is a solution for the predicament we're in. But instead of throwing Jonah into the sea to calm the storm, we're going to do everything we can in order to escape and in order to survive. They tried everything. They tried rowing to the land. It didn't work. And so finally, they conceded to Jonah's request. They picked Jonah up, threw him into the sea, and as soon as they did that, look at verse 15 of chapter 1. So they picked up Jonah, held him into the sea, and the sea ceased. That's a mouthful, isn't it? The sea ceased from its raging. Look at verse 16. Then these men, these sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Not only did the storm stop, but these men converted from worshipping false gods to worshipping the one true God of the Bible. As Jonah sinks helplessly to the bottom of the ocean, he's not aware of what's happened to the sailors. And as the sailors watch Jonah drown, never in a million years would they have imagined what was about to happen. Think about it. If you were one of the sailors, threw this guy overboard, you would never in a million years predict what would happen next. And so what happened next? Look at verse 17 and the beginning of the verse 17 of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. It reads, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse 1 of chapter 2 reads, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Wowza. This has to be one of the most famous parts of the story of Jonah because it's really weird. It generates so many questions. What kind of fish was this? Was it a well or was it another big fish in the ancient world that's currently you know, extinct or something? Did Jonah really get swallowed by a giant fish? And if he did, did he actually remain 
inside, in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Did this incident really happen? Or is it a made-up story? Is it based on actual events? Or is it an allegory like Narnia or something? These and many other questions are the reasons why this part of the story of Jonah has been the subject of much debate. And so, before right, we look closely at Jonah's prayer, this is what I want to do. right? I want to point out a few things that will kind of help answer some of these questions, bring clarity, shed light on some of these questions this part of Jonah generates, right? So are you guys ready? I'm just going to give you kind of introductory remarks. Okay, first, first thing is, it may seem scientifically impossible for a man to survive three days and three nights inside of a fish but this does not negate the reality of miracles. Jonah doesn't die after being swallowed by the great fish. Instead, he survives. In, in, in verse 17, um, look at it again. It says, Jonah survived in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. For real, like a human being survives in the belly of a fish for three days, three nights. That's just scientifically impossible, someone might say. When you're dealing with the God of the Bible, the God whom Jonah earlier described as the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land, not everything can be scientifically proven because he sometimes works in ways that are outside of the natural order of things. In other words, God at times, and God is still in the business of performing extraordinary miracles. And a man who was swallowed by a great fish and survived for three days and three nights inside the fish can be considered a miraculous work of God. It's one of many times God has brought about something in his world that cannot be scientifically proven. Second thing we need to know before we move on and look at the prayer is that what actually happened might be a little different from how you think it happened. Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> the sequence of events may not be what most people think it is. The classic understanding of what happened is this. Look, Jonah is thrown overboard by the sailors. A fish immediately swallows up Jonah. The fish swims around while Jonah is inside the belly of this fish praying and after three days, three nights, the fish vomits Jonah on dry land. That's the view or the order of events most of you are familiar with. But the question I want to ask is, did it really happen like that? This is so fun for me. Okay. When we read the prayer of Jonah, we've read it and we're going to study it. 
it puts into question this classic understanding of what exactly happened. It seems like in verses 2-9, Jonah in his prayer is kind of recounting his experience of drowning. It doesn't sound like he's inside the belly of the fish. It sounds more like he's drowning in the sea. Yes, I believe Jonah did get swallowed by a fish. Yes, he did pray in the belly of the fish, but it's likely that the fish swallowed him up not as soon as his body hit the water, but after he had drowned and descended to the bottom of the ocean. In other words, Jonah being swallowed by the fish was how he was rescued from death. He had drowned deep in the ocean. He was moments away from dying when God appointed a great fish to swallow him up, thus saving his life. And while he was inside the fish, he prays and he looks back at his, you know, his near-death experience and gives God's praise for saving his life. And so rather than reading this section of Jonah chronologically, it's helpful to read the prayer as a flashback to what happened before the fish came to rescue him. Author Ken Fentress, Fentress says this. I was going to say Pinterest, but Fentress says this, the fish does not show up as soon as Jonah hits the water. In cartoon versions of this scene, a huge fish opens its mouth and Jonah jumps right in with an Olympic diver's precision. This is not true of what happens here. Instead, Jonah um, jumps in the water. Ah, that's me. That's my typo. What could that word be? Who has an idea? Okay, in the water, whatever. And the Lord... <laughs> Sorry, Wayne, I love you. And, and the Lord allows him to sink a while so that he might grasp the seriousness of the consequences of his choices. And so this is a little different to how most of you have viewed. What's that? What's behind me? It's fixed. Thank you, Bobby. Round of applause for Bobby. Yes, you are amazing. We love you, Bobby Shook. The third thing we need to know before we move on is that three days and three nights may not mean seven to two hours. Verse 17 says that he was in the inside, um, inside the fish for three days and three nights, and I think Jonah was swallowed by a real fish and did survive, but I don't think he was in the belly of the fish for a literal three days and three nights, seven to two hours. This is why. In the Bible... The phrase three days and three nights does not always refer to a 72-hour period. At times, three days and three nights is often used in the Bible to communicate movement from life to death or death back to life. Kevin J. Youngblood says this, that three days and three nights of Jonah's sojourn within the fish may therefore be understood as indicating a journey from death back to life. And this makes a lot of sense because in his prayer, Jonah will describe his experience after he ate the water as a near-death experience. And like, if you see three days and three nights, even in Jesus' case, um, don't think of it as 72 hours Right? It's the idea, and it all makes sense now. It's the idea that Jesus came from death to life, and this is kind of what's going on here in Jonah. 
Another thing to bear in mind as we study the prayer and even the book of Jonah is that everything that happened was recorded after it happened. What this means is that Jonah wasn't in the storm and in the belly of the fish and he pulls out his pen and his journal, like, you know, making notes and journaling his prayer. That's not what happened. Everything we're reading happened afterwards. Tony Merida says this, the reader would do well to keep in mind that the entire record of Jonah 2 as well as that of the entire book was made outside of the fish after Jonah was delivered. Images of a Pinocchio-like fire inside of which, the, you know, inside the belly of which, you know, Jonah could record his thoughts should be disassociated with this chapter and the analysis. I've seen the Pinocchio thing, right? We've seen it all. Lastly, Last thing we need to remember is that Jonah prayed the Bible. Jonah prayed the Bible. Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish is a psalm. If you don't know what a psalm is, a psalm song is a song and prayer by God's people that express who God is and how he works in their lives. And most of the content in Jonah's prayer is very similar to the prayers in the psalm. In fact, you could say that Jonah's entire prayer is plagiarized. Almost every line of the prayer is borrowed language. Nothing is original to Jonah. It's actually a stitching together of, the, of a whole bunch of psalms. And if we had time, I'll show you a chart that shows you that every line, he gets it from a psalm. And this is all good. Do you know why? Because Jonah prayed the Bible. Think about this. The Bible, all right, the Bible you're holding, the Bible you've got on your phone, right, is not only useful for preaching and teaching and studying and defending the essentials of the Christian faith, but it's also incredibly useful for prayer. As a pastor, whenever someone comes up to me and says, Obed, I'm struggling with my prayer life and I need help. I look at them and say, I'm struggling with my prayer life and I need help. But I also recommend them this book, right? Two books. The first is Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And the second is Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. These two books have radically sh um, shaped and changed my prayer life. Used to struggle and still struggle to an extent. But after reading these books, I prayed more and had better times of prayer. And that is because these books not only showed me the power of prayer, but they revealed to me the power and the joy of praying the Bible. Many Christians, including me as a pastor, would admit, and you would admit, that the habit of praying is inconsistent in your life. And so the question is, why does prayer, which is a valuable gift, become something we feel like we have to do, not, not something we get to do? Donald Whitney says this, that how can we talk to the most fascinating person in the universe about the most important things in our lives and be bored to death? 
And he argues that the solution to a boring, lifeless prayer life is a change in strategy that focuses on the content of the Bible. In other words, praying through a passage of Scripture is a simple way to fight distractions and enhance your prayer life. And so let me encourage you to do that. Um, there are a ton of Psalms. Pick a Psalm a day. Read it. Stop. Whatever stands out to you, pray those Psalms. And so I wonder what your prayer life will be like if you actually apply, apply the practice of praying the Bible. And so Jesus suggests a few things. few things, quite a lot. I wanted you guys to know before we dive into the prayer. And so let's do that. Look at verse 2. This is the first line of Jonah's prayer. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This verse right here is a summary of what Jonah experienced when he was thrown into the ocean. He describes his experience as distressing and troubling and like being in the belly, not of a fish, but what? In the belly of what? Sheol. The word Sheol is mentioned just over 60 times in the Bible. And when it's mentioned, the Bible refers to Sheol as a place people go when they die. For example, after Jacob, you know, Joseph, Technicolor, Dreamco, all of that, his dad is called Jacob, right? When he got the news that Joseph was dead, and remember, Joseph wasn't dead. His brothers had lied and everything. Genesis 37 tells us what happens. Look at verses, um, Genesis chapter, it's going to come on the screen. Genesis 37, 34 to 35 reads, Gen Then Jacob tore his garments and put his sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. 35, all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused used to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. This is the first time the word Sheol appears in the Bible and it's used to describe a place for those who die. And so in the Old Testament, Sheol seems to be a word for the underworld or unseen world of the dead, where departed spirits go. Put simply, it's the land of the dead. And so Jonah is saying, when I was thrown into the ocean, it was so distressing, it felt like I had died. But we also see in verse 1 that he cried out to God for help in his distress. <laughs> he cried out to God from the land of the dead. And God not only heard his prayer, but God also answered him. If you noticed when we read the, um, the prayer, you noticed that, yes, he's talking about a traumatic experience. But peppered throughout the whole prayer are, 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 are like prayers and cries of hope. It's incredible. And so how did God answer him? This will become clear 
once he tells us more about his terrifying near-death experience in the sea, look at verse 3. He says, describing what's happening, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I've got a question for you. Have you ever felt like you're drowning? Like literally drowning? I've had that experience. All right, I cannot swim, okay? I wished I could. That's something I hope to like achieve in my life. Because I can't swim, whenever I see the water, ocean, I'm just freak out. By the way, like God calling me to San Diego was like ironic in so many ways. Anyway, guy who can't swim, guy who's not really a beach person, guy who doesn't need a tan, guys who doesn't, whatever. <laughs> Like, it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot, but God has his sense of humor and he goes over to San Diego and I love it here, by the way. Anyway, I can't swim and once I've, obviously I've had like drowning experiences. Once my wife and I, we were in Cyprus, Cyprus is in the Mediterranean where my wife's family are from. And then I was playing, what is it, I was playing um, volleyball in the water with a young guy in the shallow end by the way and I was just playing volleyball with him um, he you know he hit the wall and it went really far out and I was like yeah I'm just gonna walk there <laughs> I'm gonna walk there and as I walked and got ever so close to the ball I started to realize that I could not stand anymore and then you could imagine, I started freaking out. It was such a terrible experience. I'm like, I'm going to die. Oh, my gosh. And I'm freaking out. Like, you know, the water, I'm trying to. And then someone comes to my rescue. Guess who it was? It was the little kid. <laughs> I was playing, playing volleyball with, and he saved me. And some of you have had experiences where you've been caught worse experiences where you've been caught in a raging wave or come close to drowning and so you kind of understand Jonah's dilemma it's a scary thing to go through and at this moment Jonah understands this he understands that he is experiencing this life-threatening thing not because not because of someone, right? He is experiencing this because of his disobedience to God. Only if he would have obeyed, he wouldn't be in this mess. We know how he's feeling. He's terrified. But I, I wonder, like, what's really going on in his mind? We get an idea of that in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, but he says, then I said, while this is all going on, he says this, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And so Jonah is drowning. Waves are pounding him. And he says, God, I'm driven away from your sight. I am driven away from your presence. And what I love about verse 4 is that he says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. What this means is that despite being in this 
dilemma and this crazy situation because of his disobedience, despite feeling that God has left him and he can't sense God's presence, he still somehow, in some way, has hope that one day he will dwell in God's presence. And this should be encouraging for you because you have and you will fail miserably as a Christian. You will do and say things that are in blatant rebellion against God. And when you are experiencing the consequences of your sinful actions, you will feel like God has left you and given up on you. But it's in those moments that you have to say, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple, God. I shall again seek you. I shall again experience your grace and your mercy. Jonah continues to describe his drowning experience. Look at verse 5. He says, The war has closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head um, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. What is this describing? This is describing that, that he is submerged deep below the ocean Jonah has sunk so far down that he's wrapped, he's wrapped up in seaweed on the ocean floor. Jonah describes his descent into the ocean floor as being down at the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is another description of Sheol. In his lowest moment, when Jonah felt as though he was at the threshold of the grave, Jonah continues to testify of divine mercy. He experienced God's salvation. Let's read verses 5 and 6 again to see this. Remember, he's like, the war has closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Look at verse 6. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And then what does he say? Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. In Hebrew, the term pit comes from a verb meaning to ruin, destroy, or annihilate. Because of its association with destruction and annihilation, pit is a common designation for the grave or shore in the Old Testament. And so Jonah's use of this word shows us this. It shows us how sure he was that he was going to die. Nonetheless, at the last minute, Jonah is rescued from Sheol and he identifies his rescuer as the Lord, my God. 
so much in here, but we have to move on. And how did God rescue Jonah? How did God bring his life back from the, um, up from the pit? Verse 10 gives us the answer. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God rescues him in the most unexpected way. God sends a great fish down to Sheol to rescue Jonah from separation and death. And so Jonah's redemption, physical and spiritual, is evident in what he says in verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8 and 9. Those who pray regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The phrase salvation belongs to the Lord appears in other parts of the Bible and some believe it communicates the point, the main point, the heart of what scripture wants us to know. Jonah has come to realize that idols are worthless, but the one true God of the Bible is worthy. At this point of the story, we would all agree that Jonah is at his lowest. Jonah has hit rock bottom, literally and spiritually. It's in Jonah's dark night of the soul, with waves and billows passing over him, that he experiences God in ways he had not before. Tim Keller says that the usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. Sometimes it takes a crisis to bring us to our knees so that we can acknowledge that we do not have control. Sometimes it takes a crisis, a really difficult, challenging experience for us to experience God in a way we wouldn't have. How else will you know God is gracious if you have not blown it? How else will you know God's unconditional love if you've not failed miserably? How else will you experience for yourself God's power to save without coming to the end of yourself? How else will you know God's power to help you persevere without being in a difficult season where your connections, your money, your charisma cannot deliver you? How else will you know the one true God without a crisis, without a dark night of your soul? How else? And so, what crises are you facing now? What's your dark night of your soul? 
let me ask the question another way. What crises have you faced in the past? And how have you seen God meet you in the most intimate way and rescue you in the most powerful but unexpected way? Sometimes God does his greatest work in our most challenging moments. Sometimes God meets us in the most intimate way, rescues us in the most powerful way when we are in our worst case scenario. How has God used your dark night of the soul to meet you? in the most intimate way and revive you in the most extraordinary way. And how can you be confident that when you do encounter a crisis, the dark night of the soul, your worst case scenario, how can you be confident that God will not only be with you, but he is working in you? How can you have confidence in that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 40, helps us here reads then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him said to Jesus teacher we want you to see us we want you we want to see a sign from you he Jesus answered a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah Verse 40, Jesus continues, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's going on here? Jonah's near-death experience in the storm and sea, his burial in the fish and his resurrection upon the dry land are used by Jesus to predict his own death, his own burial in the heart of the earth and eventual resurrection. There are a lot of connections between Jonah and Jesus. There are. You've read it before. And as we read it and we look, we're seeing all the connections. But when we read the New Testament, we not only see the connections between Jonah and Jesus, but most importantly, Jonah, this story was pointing us all along, has been pointing us all along to a greater prophet, a greater preacher, and a greater, Je and a greater savior, and his name is Jesus. Both went down to shore for three days. Jonah's experience was more like extreme discomfort. Jesus went to his death willingly in obedience to the Father and in love for his people. 
both were delivered from their trip down to Sheol, but Jesus was resurrected and offers that same resurrection to whoever would follow him. And so that's the confidence we have. Because your Savior, Jesus Christ, defeated sin, Satan, and death, you have confidence knowing that no matter what crisis comes your way, Jesus wouldn't just be with you in it, but he is at work in and through you for his good and great purposes. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May you help us know and experience your grace, your mercy, and your power no matter what comes our way. In Jesus' name.